We are back. Total Jews are back. How you doing, Isaac? Good. And how are you? Thank God. You know, hanging how is, in. Uh, how is um, Alex Claire? Alex Claire as a person, because I haven't been to any of his concerts. I uh, have the privilege of attending the synagogue. He sort of operates as the Gabai. Um, awesome guy. Yeah, got got to hear him do Havdalah last week and Bichazan all on one leg. The man is not like you necessarily need legs, but, you know. Um, we were talking about spiritual journeys and personal paths a few moments ago. Do you know the trajectory of his, just out of curiosity? Was he always as observant as he is right now? Or No, definitely not. It's it's been a, a process for him. I think it's at least 10 years where he's been on this journey. Uh, we've been trying to get him on the podcast. Um, hopefully soon. Yeah. We'll, we'll be able to make it happen. Um, and we can, we can dig in, you know, he's, he's still a recording artist. Um, I, I'm curious how many of his fans, I'm sure now they'll, they understand like where he's at. Um, he has such an ease of like communicating Torah ideas and like communicate, like just combining it with like commentaries. So he makes you feel welcome. Oh yeah. And like he gives classes and it's just like, it's very, very easy to learn with him. Um, Just an open dude, very chill, you know, just like a nice energy. Um, If anyone has, if anyone's in Jerusalem and and you're visiting Nachlaot area near the Shuk, Please come by on Shabbat. Uh, there's always a minyan Friday night, Saturday, Saturday afternoon, Sudashishit. So if you're listening and you want to try something new, you want to meet some cool people, come on by. Uh, today we have the very special volume two of Taylor Amrani. She's back, back on the podcast. Yeah. Amrani is, as we refer to her, <laughs> uh, with all the respect in the world. Uh, is back with a vengeance, is <laughs> killing the game, as they say. Uh, the last time we talked to Taylor was over a year and a half ago, and she was still living in Israel. She, in that t- between then and now, she returned back to LA, went to Austria, and on the podcast, she talked about, you know, her forthcoming move to Ecuador and then eventually to India. And she's all over the place, um, but she, it's definitely someone who embodies and lives all the thing, lives the message that she preaches and talks about. Absolutely. I was, as we mentioned, I think in this one and the previous interview, that was what I was one of her first clients um, when she just started her initially, she called it coaching. Now she calls it a spiritual uh, mentor, I think, or a spiritual guide in a way where it's like she's self-taught she focuses a lot on the on the soul and the spiritual aspect of like who you are to break through certain things so it's not the typical life coach um and at one point in the conversation we um of course you know to tie back to her judaism and sort of obviously a theme of this podcast is you know how her jewish identity plays a role in her life and in her business and it obviously plays a huge role She's coming more from like a spiritual secular background, but she's very open to learning, you know, original texts and and learning from them. 
um, as, as I can tell you personally, when I have conversations with her and it's something that we talk about in the episode, but at one point it was just kind of like me and her having a back and forth about our journeys. Uh, and I feel like you, Isaac, didn't really have such an opportunity in that moment because we, we were just flowing to, to share some of your journey. And I'm, I don't want to obstruct a good flow state there. I want to, of course, you're, <laughs> you're a professional podcaster. Right. And I, uh, wonder why. I, you know, I can't wait for the day that we do this in person. Oh, uh, of it changes everything, but um, I, I'm curious, you know, and this is something that we've spoken about with Rabbi Lidvin, you getting to fill in shortly after our first interview with him. Uh, what's that been like, you know, the, I don't know if you're, if you've taken on other mitzvot or if, you know, if you, I mean, you don't, you don't necessarily have to, but just how has the act of you putting on to fill in, like, has it begun a certain journey for you? Uh, and what's that process been like? like what are the things that, that make you keep doing it? So I, I tell myself and I've uh, told others that I'm the product of three uh, strong Jewish communities here in the United States, the Jewish community in St. Louis Park, the Jewish community in Kfifkor, Missouri, and the Jewish community in New York City. Um, and when I wrap to fill in, I almost exclusively think about growing up visiting my grandparents in St. Louis. And so in a way, that's the only mitzvot uh, specifically that I've taken on regularly. But it brings me, no, it's nice. It's it sort of to fill in serves as a time capsule for me and allows me to be present in the past and it serves as almost like a guidebook for the beginning of the day, which I, which I really enjoy, um, almost like a roadmap. And it's a process. So it's, it's a process that involves practicing consistency and that to use that kind of consistency as a metaphor for how, we, how I wanna live my day as a Jew, how I wanna live my day as a human being. Um, it, it's sort of the launching point for all of that. And you feel like you felt like a, you know, like a tangible difference in your days or well, it, I it comes and goes because it has yeah. it become more of like a, a habit it's, now where it's like oh, yeah, it's second initial, nature to a certain degree, but the new same, car smell. Yeah. It's second nature to a certain degree, but I never lose the feeling that, I mean, again, I, I, I don't want to view it as, some like regimented thing that I'm checking off, but immediately afterwards, I feel productive. So, um, and you know, there's sometimes where I miss the morning and hit it in the afternoon, but there's, it's always a lot, it, it's always like a catalyst for either continued or the beginning of a productive day. Um, yeah, that afternoon charge. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just fun aesthetically. Yeah. Like I love making it really tight. And it's funny because when I was younger and I see people put it on, I, it bothered me physically. I remember vividly, it bothered me physically to see people wrap to fill in and I could see the spaces as they were wrapping. I'm like, no, no, it has to be like tight. You want to get like that vein going. And, and so I, so yeah, so I, I um no, I like that. I want to read a book. I haven't had time to research this, let alone read it. But I, 
I'm sure there's a book out there about like the history of the history of the practice. Um, oh yeah, there's plenty. The one I would recommend uh, for you and our listeners is by Rabbi Arya Kaplan. He has, I think it's more of like a short pamphlet book. You know, it's just kind of like super short. It tells you, you know, customs, blessings, you know, practical stuff. And then also some of like the, the history, the Kabbalistic meanings, um, why, why we most people wear Rashi tefillin, which is uh, to, right inside the tefillin boxes, there's four parchments of Torah. Uh, the Shema, and uh, now I'm blanking out. We're gonna have to. Someone's gonna have to check me. If, you know what else is in there? But the Shema is definitely in there. Um, I think it's the parsha of of where, of of Tefillin when uh, in Parsha Bo, if I'm not mistaken. And I want to go on a limb and say the Ten Commandments, but um, yeah, I'm putting myself the on the line here. So Ra- no, so Rashi basically uh, spoke about how to organize them inside the box, and that's what most people wear. That is that and what we then, wear? Yeah, and then there's actually a second pair of tefillin called Rabbeinu Tam, which looks exactly the same, but inside the 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 parashiot, the different Torah portions, are separated, are organized differently. So instead of one, two, three, four, it'll be like two, three, one, four. I forget exactly what it is. Who organized the Rabbeinu Tam to fill in? Rabbeinu Tam, which is oh, Rashi, okay. one of Rashi's uh, descendants. They just had a disagreement about it. And at the end of the day, the sages have understood through Kabbalistic meanings that basically what the way that Rashi has it organized creates a certain energy and a certain connection to your soul. And it, you know, it leads to some of the things, some of these feelings that you're speaking about. Like there's, there's a reason why you feel this way. There's a reason why a lot of people, when they put on to fill in, like they feel a certain way in a positive sense, or, you know, you always hear about people that do nothing, uh, guys that men that do nothing in terms of Judaism, but they put the fill in on every day. So like it does, it does have a certain tangible effect. And so Rabbeinu Tam basically has a similar effect in a different way. It's, it's basically tapping into different aspects of your soul and different energies. It's different Sfirot, which is like the, the different, um, I guess you can call them like parts of the soul, um, according to Kabbalah, uh, not Madonna's Kabbalah, the Arizal's Kabbalah. <laughs> and um, so uh, Chabad has a custom of putting on both pairs. So you'll put on Rashi for the, for the duration of, of Shacharit, of the morning service. And then when you're done, you wrap, you quickly put on the other pair, you say Shema again, and you say that one parsha which comes from Parsha Bo, the last section of Parsha Bo, which is basically the exodus of Egypt and the mitzvah of tefillin. It says you shall have a sign on your arm and a sign between your eyes. And that's, that's where we draw the mitzvah of tefillin. Um, and it, should be a, it says it shall be a remembrance for you on your arm and on your head. And, and the Karaites um, are the one, that are, they're the group that wear it right between the forehead? Yeah, because they take it literally. And it's... It's between the eyes, but it doesn't have to be physically between the eyes. So it's on the forehead in the, in the line of the eyes. That's why it's very important that it's straight or else it's not technically kosher. Um, a lot of people have like little mirrors and they look at themselves quickly or nowadays with the iPhone or whatever you can. So similar to getting 
your mezuzah checked, people have to get their tefillin checked? Yeah, it's customary. Uh, the, the, some of the texts might have worn off. Uh, it's very important that you tefillin are not uh, kept under heat because that could happen. Never leave them in a car. Never leave them by a window because if, the, if, the, if it gets hot, the parchment can, can become non-kosher. So, you know, there's a custom to check it every seven years or so, but then there's also people that say you never have to check it. Um, again, back to Chabad. Chabad has a custom of checking meticulously. Some people check every year. There, there are many videos of the Rebbe, uh, you know, people coming up to the Rebbe and telling them that they have so many issues in their life and they need a blessing. And then he would give them a blessing and say, he would say that check your mezuzah or he's like, or check your tefillin. He would tell people uh, in these instances to, you know, to, to make sure that these items are kosher. Um, you know, there might be a situation where it's creating a certain negative energy um, and it might be because of that, you know? So again, this is, some people might think this is a superstition, but if you believe in the power of mezuzah, you believe in the power of tefillin and what it means and, and what it's doing and in your relationship with, with the creator, then it's, we're not talking about superstition anymore. You're talking about like a very, ex, like a very, you know, uh, powerful and, and special act, uh, so, oh yeah, I wanted to just, final thing, I recently started putting on Rabbeinu Tam again. I actually bought a pair of my bar mitzvah and I stopped wearing them very quickly. It was, you know, I was very young and I wasn't really prepared to, um, one sec, I wasn't really prepared to take on the double tefillin every day. Didn't wear, I didn't wear tefillin at all for years. And then when I started putting on tefillin again, 2017, it was only Rashi up until literally a couple of weeks ago. Uh, what inspired that, that that addition to your life? So when I went to when I went to uh, Shavuot to Tzfat and I hung out with Eliyahu and Avidan uh, from the two Chassids, Eliyahu just randomly said to me on one of our walks, he's like, he's like, he's like, you put on Rebbeinu Tam, and I'm like, no. He's like, man, you got to try it. I'm like, I actually have a pair, but I don't wear them. He's like, he's basically he basically just like planted a seed in my head of like of you know the things that we were just talking about how Rabbeinu Tam basically taps into a different not anything less than Rashi not anything more than Rashi it's just tapping in to a separate um energy of you know of the act of putting on tefillin and and, and how it interacts with your soul and that was that was June and then on for some reason Tubav uh morning I was putting on tefillin and I just thought to myself I'm like I'm going to go get my Rabbeinu Tam. It just clicked. And I had to pull out all my suitcases. It was in the bottom suitcase. <laughs> pull out everything, pull them out, wrap them. It was like a brand new pair to fill in. And then I realized that it's been 13 years since my Bar Mitzvah. So I've, now it's basically, this is my double Bar Mitzvah. You know, age 26 is, your, is, is the double year. And then it was just like, it, you know, it was special to wear like a brand new pair that I've barely touched. And also it was a gift from my grandmother. And like, um, so I can't say that like, you know, it's forever changed. It's only been two weeks. Um, but it feels nice to, to also say that one piece that actually comes from my own Parsha, which is, was the piece that I always have trouble with when I read my Parsha when it comes around in the year. And, um, now I'm kind of reading it every day. So by the time it comes around again, I'll, I'll probably be a little better versed. But yeah, and the, and the other thing is like more from like a, an interesting standpoint, as we know, we've spoken on many times, when, especially when we did the holiday specials, is like the concept of uh, 
of like of like time and why certain holidays Jewish holidays happen at certain times of the year and in that time of the year certain things are more emergent so during Passover it's the idea of freedom the idea of leaving Egypt Egypt in Hebrew means uh, restraint so it's breaking free of the chains that's Pesach and on uh, now we're coming up on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot, the days of awe, the high holidays, whatever you want to call them. The World Series for the Jews. (laughs) So when we're talking about the holidays and this time period that we're in right now as this recording is the days between Tuba'av and Rosh Hashanah, which is exactly 40 days. A chunk of that, a major chunk of that is Elul, which is the last month of the year, according to Hasidic philosophy uh, and, and the Chabad, it basically says that there's a concept of the king is in the field, the king being God, you know, we've spoken about this. Um, it's it's a special time. It's not that the king isn't always in the field. Of course, Hashem is always there, and he's always he's always you know looking out for you. He's keeping you alive. So clearly, there's a reason why you're here, and he cares about you and he loves you. But during the last month, right before Rosh Hashanah, which is considered the Day of Judgment, and then the Day of Atonement, and then Sukkot, which is like the celebration of both of these things, basically have like being sealed for life. That entire month right before is a very auspicious time to basically like, you know, think about your last year, take on something new, uh, try to, you know, be a better person in whatever way. Uh, and it was interesting that I, I, decided, I decided to start putting on Rabbi Tom the first day of those 40. Um, so, you know, I'm hoping that it'll, when I meditate on them, I'll, you know, have some sort of connection it's definitely not happened yet but uh um we'll see and i also don't want to force it you know the same way it happened organically i want it to continue to happen organically and it's definitely hard to with the fill in especially because it happens every day it's hard to like know when to um when you're not doing when you're doing it because you want to do it and when you're doing it because you feel like you have to do it so it's it's one of those that um becomes a little bit of a challenge and as you've pointed out in the past when we arrive at Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, that tells us, communicates to us that our prayers from the previous year were answered. Exactly. Exactly. Because, you know, write me for life, seal me for life. And it's like being, being back in that moment is a testament that your prayers like, were heard. You know, it's, it's, it's special. And, um, you know, we don't know why bad things happen to good people because maybe we're not supposed to know uh, because obviously there's plenty of good people that definitely should have been sealed for life and they weren't. And we, you know, it's not, it's not our place to start coming to conclusions. That's why we say in Hebrew, Baruch Dayan Hamed, blessed is the true judge. Because um, there's only one. And, you know, we pray for it and we do everything we can um and it's special that's that's why Yom Kippur is one of my favorite holidays because you're like you don't eat you don't drink you're dressed in white you're not even showering you're just all you're doing is talking to God it's all you're doing for 25 hours you're basically we say we're like angels because it's like you're in you're in the throne you're in the you're you're in the courtroom and you're defending yourself Hashem is on your side <laughs> and it's like you know it's 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 
ממש חזק. I encourage everyone to start uh, learning about the different things that are connected to these days, and um, if Elul is a good time to start taking that on, I'm, I'm definitely trying to do that myself. Uh, speaking of Alex Clare, back to, back to where we started, he's starting a, a weekly class on, on the concept of teshuva, of, of returning to God, not repenting, of returning, and, and to, returning to God and returning to yourself. That's what teshuva is. Um, and it's an ongoing process, like you said. It doesn't, you don't just wake up one day saying, I'm done, every single day present his challenges and every single day every single moment every time you eat you have a chance to make a bracha every time you speak you have a chance to now speak Lashon Hara every time you wake up you have a chance to say Modani it's just opportunities 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 and it's like take it uh take it at your own pace but uh take it on do something connect to your to your Jewish roots more than just uh <laughs> more than just the the basic uh, the basic toolkit and without, and without further ado here is Taylor Amrani. But before that, here's a different ad from our friends over at Unpacked and their new podcast coming out very soon. If it's not already out by the time you listen to this, here it is. Picture this. Israel, 2022. A crowded bus breaks down on the side of a desert highway. Who's sitting next to you and what secret will they reveal? The newest podcast from Unpacked, Homeland, 10 Stories, 1 Israel, We'll keep you on the edge of your seat as each passenger story unfolds. Meet the Russian immigrant who escaped the Soviet Union and the Jerusalem native whose family traces back over 400 years. Each week, you'll meet a new character whose story will take you for a ride. So get on the bus, grab a window seat, and settle in for Homeland, 10 Stories, 1 Israel, wherever you get your podcasts. This will run for 10 episodes. You'll meet people whose stories have yet to be heard. And honestly, it's going to keep you at the edge of your seat. Catch it wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the Two Tall Jews Show, presented by the On This Day in Jewish History Instagram account and at Daily Jewish on Twitter. We are also found on jewishoriginal.com, where you can find all of our published content. We're happy to be here. We are the Two Tall Jews, and we are ready to go. Welcome to the show. As you already know, it's brought to you by Best Shop Productions. For all your video marketing solutions, go to bestshopproduction.com and get a quote on your next video project today. On today's show, we are pleased to have our current guest, Taylor Amrani, back on for her second time. Taylor is a life coach, teacher, podcaster, and spiritual savant, fluent in the art of centering her clientele through the trials and tribulations of this thing called life. A social media specialist who has a wide presence on such platforms as TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and the podcasting world, Taylor is a maven of the mainstream who caters her content to the novices of the new digital world, offering assistance, whether it's through one-on-one sessions, group classes, or through the podcast, The Life by Taylor Podcast, which touches on the individual human elements in her own life. A full-fledged autodidact whose mission and life's purpose has her well on her way to developing her own kosher empire, whom both Mayor and myself would happily see if we could afford her fee. Taylor Amrani, welcome back to the Two Tall Jew Show. It's great to see you again. Oh, I love you guys. <laughs> I recorded that one for my dad. I was like, let's just, let's yes. have someone else introduce me to him because he's still trying to figure out what I do in life. <laughs> Perfect. We'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> how are you guys i'm good thank god 
Thank God. Uh, how could I not oh. smile after listening to that? I want to live and listen to that every morning. We, we've Good mentioned morning, Taylor. The... I'm ready. <laughs> we, yeah, no, it sounds like uh, like the guy from UFC. Imagine if he was yelling that. And now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big UFC fan, so great, great uh, right. example. Yeah, I think actually Andrew Schultz hired him. Yeah, for his, he used to. Special. Yeah. Incredible. Cool. It was such a, yeah, hype up. So you're back. So much has happened since we last spoke. I mean, uh, just general growth with which we'll definitely get into um but maybe let's just like update the people on where you're at physically you've moved twice in the last year uh continuing to build a brand and the business pretty strongly i might say um so what have been some of the takeaways through the moves la austria what what have been some of the biggest takeaways from this time period i think i had you yeah no last march was it last march i think it was um before? before that yeah, yeah I think it because maybe two that. marches before um yeah, no, yeah. December, yeah. so i want to start with leaving israel because i think that's something that a lot of people um ask me about and that's where it started it's it, it was more so a bigger process for me to leave israel than it was to move somewhere else and i think that after living in israel for nine years i felt like I reached a limit in terms of my career where I felt like an obligation to leave Israel to actually represent Israel on a higher level and a, and a better level. You know, Israel is with me forever and Israel is always home. And it's hard for me to even talk about being anywhere else because my soul still feels very much there. So I want to start by saying that Israel can be your home. And if you feel a calling, trust yourself, um, you know, to do what you need to do. You, every soul has a purpose and a path. And I hope to make Israel my home, my long-term home one day, but um, it was a really tr tricky thing to leave. So I wanted to start with that. <laughs> also, yeah. just to clarify, that's not an Nefesh Benefesh ad. Uh, <laughs> it's like really the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Nefesh Benefesh, but no, really, because a lot of people ask me, how did you know? How like it's, it's like a hard thing. It's actually a very personal, and, and it's almost like there was a lot of shame in that because when I made Aliyah, I was obviously very proud of my Zionist Jewish identity coming to Israel and you sometimes become attached to that uh, even at the expense of what you feel is best for you and I was always so afraid of mentioning leaving or trying something else or going to explore other places in the world because it almost felt like a failure you know like I failed to stay in Israel but I see now how important it was for me to leave to represent Israel outside of Israel and to come back stronger. So I just wanted to say that um, at the moment, I'm currently in Austria. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely not Israel. <laughs> I am uh, in the Austrian Alps in a small town called Bad Gastein, which I researched actually uh, and found out was a, a town which was a displaced persons camp after the Holocaust where Jews found um, a lot of healing and and had beautiful a beautiful time here actually. I read some journal entries from girls and women who were here after the Holocaust who wrote about how they fell in love with nature and healed their souls and reading that helped me uh, actually stay here and feel that energy as well. And from here I'm going to Ecuador and from Ecuador I'm going to India. So <laughs> yeah. Love it. All over. But wait, we glossed over or completely skipped the LA. Part. Oh, LA. Yeah. Because right. that's so, when you grew up there, right? It's yeah, yeah, yeah. So I grew up, I was born and raised in LA, I moved to Israel when I was 17, was there for nine years, and always said I would never, ever go back to LA. I had like deep resentment and hatred for that place. Uh associated it with a lot of pain and trauma and difficult, difficult things in my childhood. And I actually 
uh, was told something recently by a friend of mine who's religious. And I said, you know, I went back to LA. It was actually a pit stop. I was supposed to go to Costa Rica, but I had a feeling that I'm more equipped and I had the knowledge and the wisdom to actually help my family and to heal my home uh, internally and metaphorically and also physically to help the people in my own close circle. And one of my friends was saying, my Jewish friends, she said, I don't know where this is from, but I definitely have heard this thing where like, when you give me tzvot, you should start with the people closest to you. And it felt like I needed to offer the, the wisdom and the things that I've learned to the people closest to me, with, whether it was my brother, my dad, my mom. So I stayed, listened to my soul, didn't go to Costa Rica. And it was a beautiful experience, actually. I, I feel like I healed my relationship with LA and with my family, which was priceless. Absolutely. Yeah. So as you mentioned, you're currently in Austria now, and it seems like you have a whole a network, a cohort of mentees who sort of brought your brand to Eastern Europe. So what inspired that, that move? Why Austria specifically? Yeah, good question. So I'm currently staying at a, at a place that's called Salina, and uh, Salina is owned by Israelis. And knowing that actually has always made me feel comfortable coming to any location of theirs, because it does feel like home. It does feel like the the big, the big dad at the top is, is mine. It's like my people, my fam. So even in Austria, I have the Israeli vibe. Like I feel the Israeli energy here. And I was here last year on vacation for two weeks. I actually planned a trip with my then boyfriend to come live here for two weeks and be digital nomads here. And we broke up and I decided to come anyways. So I was on a solo trip here last year, met some great people, enjoyed it and said, Hmm, kind of feel like going back there. Saw pictures on Instagram, messaged my friend. She was like, Yeah, I'm actually moving back to be the manager. Come. So I was like, Let's go. And I just, it's just like one of those things that falls into your lap. And I just kind of follow those things and, and say, Yes, you know, it wasn't, it's not something I planned so strategically. So it was just like clicked, felt like good timing, felt like I was getting sick of LA. I was kind of over it and decided to pack my stuff and go impulsively in like a week's notice. <laughs> No, it's great. I mean, the views, it's kind of like jumping into those Instagram pictures and Instagram reels that you're just like, where is that? Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Like, like, the, like in, blue, in Blue's Clues when you used to jump into the picture. No, no the thing is, is that's where it started. Like last yeah. year, I was like, where are all these beautiful places? And they're all in Switzerland and Switzerland's super expensive. So I was like, okay, what's a place that looks like Switzerland, but cheaper than Switzerland? And then it, like <laughs> Austria came up and then yeah. I saw there was a Selena there and I was like, bingo like it's cheap it's nice let's do it let's share it let's go <laughs> um yeah go ahead so it sounds like when it comes to travel or being mobile being a digital nomad there's a lot of spontaneity in your decision making but when i intake your content there also seems to be a fair amount of routine and you seem to pride yourself on having a routine even if the routine isn't always 100% consistent so to get closer to living uh, fulfilling life and the importance of routine can you speak about like what your routine is give us an inside scoop on yours and like how you start your day sure so a year ago or whenever I spoke to you guys, my answer would have been so, so different, which is obviously always a good thing because that means you're growing and learning and evolving. And I would hate to have the same answers. So I'm proud to say that it's very different. I used to be very, very strict and committed to these external things to provide uh, stability in my life, whether it was journaling every day, meditating every day, uh, doing certain things every day. And I'm not against it, but I started to see that 
you know, if those things are now things that you're doing from a place of stress and, you know, you're doing them because you feel like you have to, then they're just replacing other things. They're not, they're not any different than work, right? Just because they're, they're framed as things that are supposed to make you feel better. If you're doing them with an intention that you feel like you need to do them, then they actually bring more stress into your life. So what I feel is actually stayed stable and consistent within me, even when everything around me is changing is a very deep sense of inner peace that is very hard for to for me to lose that I come back to this place within myself and sometimes I feel like if it's I'm drifting away from it I know how to recenter myself but I'm really just committed to being present some days I feel the need to wake up and go for a walk some days I feel like meditating sometimes I feel like don't not waking up early at all and just chilling and I feel like it's just following that peace and trusting yourself to recenter when you need to has been what I'm committed to. So I think life is about being and not doing. And some of those routines, some of them are more about just adding more things to your to-do list that we don't need in today's age. Yeah. So that's, that's what it is today. Right. And a, a part of the process at the end of the day, cause you know, a lot of it, you know, what flows through social media, um, especially when you're in like now in a new country with only a few people that, you know, where it's like, and just the, the way that, uh, the way that it's going to be communicated, you know, in a way it's going to be through social media. And to that point, you end up sharing, right? Like a certain amount about yourself um, in a space with a lot of people, you know, but a lot of complete strangers, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. So how do you like deal with that aspect of like being so open, being so upfront, you know, leaving the stories and the, and the posts to sort of hold you accountable uh, at times, but then also be like, you know what? It didn't work out for whatever thing is, you know, um, mm -hmm. and like, so like, how do you, how do you deal with some of that feedback from like complete strangers that like don't know you and then like make assumptions of you and whatnot. And, um, cause you can, you know, you're putting yourself out there in these spaces in that way. Right. Well, two things. First, I've gotten very comfortable with saying I don't owe anything to anyone. <laughs> I really don't. Uh, I really am like, I'm clear with myself. I know who I am. I know what my truth is. It changes. Everyone's truth changes. People can change their minds. I hope to free more people to know that they can change their plans and change their minds and not to be so attached. And even when we think we know what's best for us, sometimes we're wrong. And that's also, we have to be open and humbled by God's plan for us in life. And I'm very, very comfortable with, with saying one thing and life taking me to a completely different place. When it comes to other people, I actually don't get any negative or, or at least not openly directly and I would say that's because people pick up on how you see yourself and if I presented it in a way where I felt apologetic about it or if I felt like ashamed about it I'm sure people would have something to say but I don't think I give people very much opportunities to criticize what I'm doing because I'm right. good like yeah. you know, if it bothers yeah, you good. that's okay <laughs> I don't yeah. care <laughs> yeah no I get it's it's just the you know like we, we, we worked together for a bit. And I remember one of the things that you told me is like, share, like you have a million followers. Yeah. People with a million followers, which nowadays, you know, in a way is like not that much, like a million dollars isn't that much, but um, it's still a lot. And like the, the, the idea that like, whoever has that amount probably doesn't care. And That's what I was going to say. I think the more followers yeah. you have, the easier the it is to not care. Right. 
Like I think people who have 300 followers that they know personally (laughs) have a harder time than people who don't. And that's why TikTok, for example, it's like, I feel more vulnerable on TikTok than on Instagram because I know the people following me on Instagram. People on TikTok, I'm like, I don't know who these people are. I don't care what they think. Like, let's go. (laughs) I've definitely felt that when it comes to like on this day, we don't do a post every day. We used to. Um, And now it's like we, we hit like the quality over quantity. We meet on Sundays, we pick a couple of events. Um, sometimes, sometimes we don't end up doing them. So we'll, we'll do a little story action, but like, you know, um, the, the idea that like, we can be selective and no matter what, like the, the, the follower count will increase and like, um, like, yeah. you know, once you've established, Which I think there's a time for, that, yeah. for that consistency and that discipline. And there's a time where you've earned the privilege and the freedom to kind of be flexible. And I definitely did have times where I was showing up consistently and doing things every single day or the way that I uh, needed to, to build my community. But now that I have some, a loyal community, I can actually have the, the freedom to not do that every single day. And prioritize the quality over the quantity. So your public persona comes off as both transparent and genuine, which, and that's not always the case with big public presences on social media. You don't shy away from expressing emotion. Is that something that was more of an acquired skill that you developed over time? Or is that something you were always sort of confident about doing? I think from a very early part of my journey with sharing online, I realized that that's um, that's my added value, like that's my competitive advantage, uh, is that the more authentic you are, the less competition you have, the more you're true to yourself and act as who you truly are, the less there are other people that can do it better than you or, or worse than you because you're the only you that exists. And I go all in on that because I truly believe that. And it, it removes any need to compare or compete, which which is really helpful in the, in the journey of creating and putting yourself out there. So it did come from a strategic place at first, but then eventually it became a way that really does help me process my own pain and my own experiences and share my joy with others and my pain with others as a way to, you know, I gained from that, of course, else I wouldn't do it. We're all driven by self-interest and, you know, me sharing my pain is a way for me to kind of give it meaning. And it's now become something that helps me help other people help myself. So Mm. it's, it has so many layers to it, you know, but I do think at first it was like, okay, well, I'm not going to be like her and I can't be like her and I can't beat her at being like this, but I can beat me. And, and there's only one me, that's for sure. So I tell everyone to just bet on who you are uh, authentically because then you have, you remove, you're one of one. It's like a monopoly. Like there's no other competition. Like no one can do, can do Taylor Amrani like Taylor Amrani or, or Isaac or Mayer. So. Yeah. So since we last spoke over a year and a half ago, you started this virtual 12 week uh, inner peace course and your clients get very emotional when they talk about their work with you, whether it's vlogs or reviews I've read. So for folks like Mayor and myself who are not in personal wellness spaces such as these, it's really inspiring to observe. Can you speak to the journey you take uh, with your clients on and what it's like to be needed by so many people that have, many of whom have never met you in person? Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, with any spiritual teacher or anyone who's claiming to heal or help people, it's it's really about, do you meet the people you're teaching at eye level? I say, I'm first a student with, alongside you guys, and then I'm a teacher, you know, I, I really meet my, my clientele and the people in my program and my community as an equal. I'm not this guru, and I'm not here to be above them in any way or to 
to be their leader. I'm really there to tell them, yo, like this is fucking hard and I struggle with this too, but this is the truth. And the more you commit to this, the easier it gets. And I would say that that's where the bond is formed, where they trust me. Um, I think trust is a huge part of it. Um, but I would say that the group program happened in such a natural and beautiful way. Like I, I was doing one-on-one -on -one coaching and felt like I really do love to teach more than I like to listen. And I think there are people whose gift is to listen. And, and I do like to listen as well, of course, but there's so much tools and knowledge and things and experiences I want to share. So I created this program, not knowing what it was, how it was going to take form. And if I'm being completely transparent, like I am, and again, I know I owe nothing to anyone. So I'm okay with saying this publicly. I think it's the first time I'm sharing this publicly. Oh. Mm -hmm. I, I actually sold the program, not sold. I don't want to call it sold, but I recruited the first group of people before it was actually formed. The, the content was formed and every week. And I told them they're like the first group of people. So they paid a lower price. So they were really like my, my uh, trailblazers. Right. And every week before the lesson, I literally would, and this ties into Judaism, I would say, because it's your, my relationship to God, but I really would meditate and ask God, like, what do these 12 people need to hear? What do I need to teach them? And completely didn't go about this from my logical mind. I really felt like I was just a vessel that was open to transferring wisdom from, from God to these people and just let myself trust myself with that wisdom. I didn't plan what I was going to say. I didn't know exactly what I was going to teach. And week by week, I ended up forming this beautiful program that helps people come closer to what I would call God, but I think what other people describe as just universal intelligence, the force that brought them here, uh, life that's bigger than life. Uh, everyone calls it whatever they want, but it really started off like that. Built a, that's, that's how the structure was formed. And now I've done it with four groups um, successfully and hopefully we'll continue going. Has there just been like a snowball effect when it comes to finding new people or before, before we move on, yeah. hold the question. You said something really beautiful. Okay. And it does tie into Judaism. Isaac, I do want to, I do want to continue that conversation. Yeah. This idea that you said about <laughs> vessel is literally what I think it says that in the, in the Tanya, I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that. And I believe so. If I'm wrong, somebody will tell me, but this idea of being a vessel for Hashem is absolutely connected to what we talk about. Um, and so I've just opened up this bottle of whiskey and I'm going to do a lechaim for that. You guys are welcome yes. to join world. I can also... I only have water, but... <laughs> water is life, so... Mm. All right, so lechaim for For sure, for sure, for sure. So he asked if it's if it was a snowball effect, you know, getting more people to this, to this program. So... I would say, and I, and I'll continue to say that I am running a faith-based business. Okay. Uh, which means every single day as an entrepreneur, as a creator, as anyone trying to, to create their own path in life, so much of it is, is based in faith. You have to trust that you're going to have new clients. Even when you don't have any leads, you're going to have to trust that you're going to make money the next month. You have to trust that your followers aren't going to unfollow you. You have to trust that you're going to know how to teach this lesson to people. And anytime, you know, it doesn't matter how much demand there is. There's always fear and there's always a choice to come back to faith. There have been times where I struggle to find people and I start to get really scared. And then I just trust God really. That's, that's, that's the answer for me. I say, you know what, 
God brought me the first 10 people. Why? Of course he can bring me another 10 people. How easy is that for him? It's so easy for him to bring me another 10 people. Like it's just 10 people. Um, like that, what you're you're describing is like, uh, and it's just like uh, the definition of that being there on a basic level security. Um, but it's like, uh, like in Hebrew, when you talk about like a security team, you're talking about bitachon, but it's like, when you talk about bitachon from the soul and how it, the net, like how the soul and its different parts are connecting to its source. That is like, the, it's a freeing idea. That is that back to the idea of the vessel. That's literally you molding that vessel into a place where it can descend. And like, yes. um, like um, I'm forgetting I'm about to see line right now, but eventually it'll come to me. Um, I'm pretty sure it's in King Without a Crown, but uh, yeah. So we, you know, it's a, it's, it's, that's that's literally what you're talking about of like opening up your soul in that way that allows it to emerge receive 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 receive. and two things i want to say here first of all faith is rewarded in blessings okay and the more blessing the more faith you have the more you're rewarded with blessings the more blessings you have the more you're reminded to come back to faith and it's it's really like the more you open yourself and trust god the more you will receive the more you're reminded that faith is the answer and that you ha- he always has your back and everything always works out and things are going to work your way maybe not the way you thought maybe not the way you wanted but it's always for your highest good and when you really do believe that then life becomes so beautiful and so rewarding and I remember a friend of mine taught me something his rabbi taught him that changed my life. And I would love to share it because I'm sure this audience would, will receive it well. And I was just telling it to a client who's, who's not so uh, religious. So she, was, so she was a little confused, but I was like, maybe, maybe this is a good place to share it. He said to me, Taylor, if you knew that God had all the money in the world, sorry, if you knew that your dad had all the money in the world, if your dad knew all the Jewish men in the world, if your dad had all of the resources in the world, how much faith would you have that you could, that you have, that you will be okay financially, that you will find your husband, that you will, you'll have the connections you need to build your career. I said, wow, if it was my dad, obviously like I would be, I'd be good. My dad's rich. My dad knows everyone. My dad has all the resources. He said, God is your dad. God knows all the people. He has all the money. He has all the resources. Uh, if you go know, about life. <laughs> when you, 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 when you live in Israel, particularly Jerusalem, thank God I have the, the opportunity to live in jerusalem and call jerusalem home i I, i'm so happy that like i found it in a way that i had no idea i would find it when i came here i thought i was gonna be a tel avivian boy and i can't imagine living there now (laughs) it's jerusalem when you you walk around there's enough haredim where like you spend enough time on buses or walking around and sometimes you hear them just go ah tate which is yiddish for oh father like avinu like abi like literally just like like you know like maybe they have like a moment of exp like moment of like expression maybe it's a little bit of stress and they just they just or sometimes it's happiness oh, or like sadness where it's like answer us like avinu malkenu that's what we're about to start saying soon yeah uh, yeah so uh, i just tell myself father, every day son. i'm like if i knew that i ha- not if i knew i know that i have a father who's not my, my biological dad i have a father who's his father right this bigger father that wants the best for me that loves me unconditionally that has all the money in the world and all the resources in the world and knows all the clients I could ever have in my group program. Of course, he's going to bless me. And if you, but the, the beauty of this, why do we do this? Seriously, what's the power of this and this story? It's not just to say, oh, cute, like God has my back. 
It's because if you can frame, put that perspective into mind and relax into your abundance, if you can just trust God and not get in the way and not block your blessings with your fears and your anxieties and your self-doubt, you receive it all. I've seen this so many times in the last I year. I love that you said because um, the concept of Amalek, the root, the resource of the word, the root of the word Amalek, which is the nation that, that historically wanted to kill us. And now it's more of an idea than a people. It's it, the root of the word is, is doubt. Mm-hmm. When Amalek showed up in the Torah, it was always a moment of doubt in the nation. Yes. Um, when, when uh, like, right when they complained, that's when they first showed up after the desert. Later, when Shaul was king, he had, he wasn't, they told him, kill them all. And he had doubt and he saved some of them for like mm-hmm. human rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, the same old problems. Um, right. And, but like th- th- this idea of like not being sure of yourself, not having the bitacho, not, not allowing the vessel to be formed. Um, it, it just yes. creates a darkness that like when, that, you know, we try to beat with the light. So um i think you answered the next question which uh means like the question was like how how has judaism played a role in everything that you're doing and everything that you've built i want i want to answer this because the truth is i never had any formal jewish education i didn't go to a jewish day school i didn't go to hebrew school i never literally studied judaism which is actually what's so mind-blowing for me is at any time I cross paths with someone religious or I go, I started going to Shiori before I left Israel for the first time in my life, because I always felt like I don't belong because I'm not religious or I wasn't raised that way. Um, that a Jewish soul is a Jewish soul. And it blows my mind when I say things and my Jewish friends or you may or mostly are like, this is what it says here. And this is what I, and I'm like, it's just beautiful. It's so validating to me because it's just obvious to me that the Judaism runs in my veins, whether I've studied it or not. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want to get really deep with it uh, and back to Tanya, it literally says that Torah is a garment of God himself. Like, Mm. and, and, you know, and Torah is so expensive and like, they say that the first question that you're going to be asked once you get to Shemaim to, to, you know, wherever we go after we die is, uh, why don't you spend more time learning Torah? Um, and you know, it's a kind of like a scary, but also a motivational idea of like, Oh, so like, Oh, I know that I may be asked that. And it's like, what can I do about that now? Um, but can I challenge you on that? I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. Well, it's not really a question. I just want to say that it's about when it comes to religious texts, right? I feel like there's the literal way of reading them. And I think that there mm-hmm. is like the truth between the words, right? And, and for me, when I hear that, I, I hear how much work, spiritual work did you do in your lifetime? How much did you do soul search? How much did you search within your soul? How much did you see past the physical world? Raise yeah. your consciousness, be a light in this world. So I think each soul has their own path. And for me, yeah. it hasn't presented itself to, to study Torah in, right. the, in the form of Torah itself or in the form of Judaism but I do believe that I, I am doing deep spiritual work that is very much in alignment with all religions, but right. also with Judaism. So right. I, I, I want I wouldn't people to be discouraged by, right. by a hundred percent. I wouldn't disagree with anything you said. I guess the point I was trying to make is like, like w- back yeah. to what you, it was a response to what you said of like feeling something, seeing something, and then maybe mentioning it to me. And then, and then me being like, Oh, there's a source for that. Yeah. Which sure. I wish I knew all the, I knew more sources, but it's like, that moment of like, oh, this actually draws back to that. And, and, yeah. and oh, also this also draws back to that. And it's like, so what's going on with that? And it's like, yeah. and then once you get to that point, it's up to you 
and where you're at. Torah is really hard. You know, there's certain, I, I wish I, I, I learned, I barely, you know, I wish I learned more, honestly, it's something that I'm working on. And it's just like, it's, it's the journey. Like when you say like the derech, like it's really a journey and, and um, it's like life itself. Like you have to, you have to take it as it comes and can't, like you said, can't force it. Everything can't I've done it. in my life, like the last four years, since I started this process, this journey that I'm on, everything has been from a place of truth and like um, understanding and acceptance. Yes. And yes. like the second that I felt something that was being forced, I either would like pause or like try to investigate. Yes. And like, yes. it's the only way because you, you're developing, Hasidus explains that you're developing a relationship with God himself. Like one-on-one, you're, you're developing a relationship with your creator, going back to the root. And it's like, it, it goes beyond the things that we were forced to do in Jewish day school. It's like, that was a great place to start. Cause I, mm. I, I have a lot of friends that went to Jewish day school, grew up in that way and then felt no connection. Don't, didn't take anything from it and it's like they grew or up some people who resented around it. it yeah because right, it was exactly. forced yeah exactly so it's like i think that i'm very grateful that my parents sent me to these schools because they gave me such a strong base when i came here on my gap year program when i was completely secular my first time in israel i was el rabino rabbi Meir, because i knew basic tanakh yeah or like, <laughs> just like you know and it's like but I was like fully I was like I don't keep anything I was like whatever I was in my I was my journey like that was a part of where I'm at now and it's like um Isaac I know I don't know if you want to speak to the aspect of the journeys I was just talking with my dad about how we just had on Rabbi Litvin on for the second time and we on the first time we at the end of the conversation Rabbi Litvin is the shliach in Kentucky in the University of Kentucky in almost the whole state and uh he was um at the end of the first interview we got Isaac to fill in like it just emerged we got him a pair uh after certain uh conversations um and so like i you know you've been rapping a little over a year now right and it's like no it's been really nice and again i I mean it's definitely an element of my observance but i really also view that as a i mean for me like a cultural practice as Mm. much as i do a spiritual one and that doesn't diminish the act itself but i like again i'm an archivist so i love the process of everything so like the way you know like the way the web the leather feels on my skin like all of that is integrated into the process itself which i really enjoy and is really powerful i was curious and this isn't entirely relevant but do you know or most of your is most of your client base jewish so no recently actually this is a good question and before i answer it i want to say about the whole journey of of you know what how judaism plays into each person's life for each jew's life I would say, don't be so attached to your present identity as secular or as religious or whatever it is. Like, I think it's it's being open to it. Like, I would not be surprised if I ended up more religious, Jewish, in the Judy, and through Judaism. Like, I'm open to that. Again, it's like, it's not forcing it, but it's also trusting that it can change and evolve and mm-hmm. be open, be open to it taking different forms in your lifetime. Out with the labels and factions. I have an ongoing joke on my Instagram account where I, when I, get dressed for Shabbat. I'll take a picture by my mirror over here. And I'll, and I, I've done it twice now. I caption it. What Hasidic group is this? Yeah. And, and it's just like, and I'm, I go to the Kotel sometimes and I look around and I'm like, the second that we stop worrying about Sephardic Ashkenaz, Hasidic, Orthodox, non like the second that we just drop all that and just look at each other as like fellow Jews, fellow Jewish soul, it's like Mashiach is literally at the doorstep. Exactly. So it's like this oneness. And I, I feel, I feel that one, when I see 
Um, and I, Isaac, I do want to answer your question because I have a good answer for that. But um, I was in Austria. It's very rare to see Jews here. And on Shabbat, there were like two religious guys walking with kippot and dressed nice. And I go, Shabbat Shalom. And they were like, so excited just to say Shabbat Shalom back. And they were like, why you're Jewish? I'm like, yeah. And like, of course, like my past self actually would hesitate because I was dressed very, not moderately. Like I was literally like half, half dressed, you know, sitting, having my coffee. Uh, my friends were smoking. Like, and I was just like, my past self would be like, there's a divide between us. Like, I can't say Shabbat Shalom to these people because I might, they might, they'll look at me wrong or like, they might not consider me Jewish. And I said, you know what? Break that barrier, like open your heart, see the oneness and all. Like I see myself in ultra-Orthodox people. I see myself in reformed people. I see myself in secular Jews that reject their Judaism. So and that's yeah. entirely connected to what you said 15 minutes ago about how you don't know you don't owe anyone anything. And yes. when you display a level of confidence, they're gonna meet you more than halfway. Exactly. If you lead with love, love is more most of the time received and, and welcomed and very wanted by most people. Uh, now, back to, to your question about if most yeah. of my clients are Jewish. Yeah. So something really beautiful has happened in the last year where I've attracted people through TikTok who, you know, my, my, the beginning of my business started where my Instagram picked up through Asbara and Jewish, Jewish life and Israel. So at first, of course, that's a rematch, like, that's a rematch. rematch for the OGs. <laughs> Taylor can't oh, I, I didn't even know that. Um, yeah, I so Taylor, I was about Taylor that for you. It was great. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So <laughs> most of the people that I attracted were Israeli Jewish, pro-Israel. And what happened with TikTok is that I started to create content that had nothing to do with Israel, nothing to do with Judaism or anything. And I started attracting a different audience who had no idea that I was Israeli or that I did the army or that I was Jewish. And I found myself with clients that are Muslim, that are like heavily, heavily pro-Palestine, who who love me who I'm really close to, who hired good me. Fight. The good fight continues. The good fight continues, which brings Wait, me to this. Isaac, that, yeah. was, that was the name of Taylor's channel right before oh, she started. Okay. Yeah, the good fight. So it's, it's, it's taught me that when you lead with love, that is the strongest advocacy you can do for anything. And even here in wow. Austria, of course, I face people who have anti-Semitic remarks or I can tell have negative sentiments towards Israel. It's not uncommon. It's probably every single time I tell someone I'm from Israel, their face literally is just like, oh, okay. Like it's never a positive reaction. Um, and I actually wanted to share that I met someone here who's Muslim, who uh, was speaking very badly about Jews to me, openly telling me like, oh, Jews are the worst. Like Jews are, are the worst people on earth. Like Israeli Jews are the worst and then American Jews. And then like openly, oh, you know, both and, and, you know, <laughs> I, and I didn't react, I know. And I didn't react. I didn't react. And that's, that's what I believe in. Okay. Of course, everyone has their own path. I think we need the Rudy's of the world and we need the, we need all the different kinds of people who fight the good fight in their own unique way. The spectrum. It's a spectrum. We need all of them. We need all the fighters, right? But for the people who don't resonate with the arguing or the convincing or the political debates, there's another way. And I say you can lead with, lead with love and light. That's my way. And this guy who spoke that way, I didn't react. I didn't argue. I didn't start bringing up all these facts or started to criticize him or judge him. I just got closer to him and I was kinder to him and I was nicer to him. And today, where wow. he listens to my podcast now and I help him with his own life questions. I highly doubt he will speak about Jews the way he did a month ago ever again now that I've entered his heart, you know? You so know, that to me is powerful. It is. You know, what's one of the key, like it's a common denominator in cases of anti-Semitism historically. Yes. And to this day is ignorance. 
yeah. and ignorance and like the fact explain nobody can explain i don't think with like data or words how uh egypt that has less than 300 jews is one of the most anti-semitic countries in the world right or like they've literally never seen a jew or uh, a neo-nazi in west virginia who is spending his night on QAnon and 4chan? Like, no. The the cats. funniest part is like the ignorance is so deep that I I met yeah. someone recently, this like old Greek man, and he was trying to be nice and was making anti-Semitic jokes, trying to yep. bond with me, and I I've, and I like it took me back because I said to myself like, wait, this guy likes me. He literally didn't make me pay for my meal because he liked me so much. I ate fully for free for lunch. Like he loved me, but he was but making jokes you- about. He was literally like oh, you're Jewish. You must be good with money. You must be rich. Like you, and I was like, and he was like joking, like trying to be like all homies with me. And I'm like, no, like you're doing this wrong. But I saw that he, he just didn't know. Like they don't, people don't know. A lot of the times it's subconscious. It's rooted in something so much deeper than their own choice to be that way. So kill them with kindness, lead, lead with love. You know, like I truly believe that's the most powerful force. Well, this is the season, tis the season, right? We're as of this recording, we're in the, the 40 days between Tuba Av and Rosh Hashanah, mm-hmm. which is uh, we're going in, we're going into the days of awe. And it's and it's it starts with the love of Tuba Av, which is the day of love. I'm not going to call it Jewish Valentine's, um, because uh, it's not Valentine's Day is a fucked day in Jewish history, uh, <laughs> just massacres on massacres. But uh, this idea of like, I was taught that the hard way. I posted that once, like without yeah. knowing, like on Instagram, and like I got so many messages. I'm like, I'll never say this again. I'll never say this again. Yeah, yeah, because it dates back to the times of the temples. Like this is an ancient holiday, and it's like, and, and but this, it's the idea of love, obviously between couples, but it's also the idea of love of, of for Hashem, for God. When it's like you're talking about love and fear, um, it starts with the love and then we're going to get into a little bit of the fear, but not fear as in, oh, I'm scared, but fear as in like, oh, I respect you as my creator. Yeah. And I also want to love you. So it's like, we say both on Kiddush, we always talk about Yirat Hashem and Ahavat Hashem. And it's like, this is the, the I would say maybe the first 20 days between uh, Tubav and Rosh Hashanah will be more about love. And then we'll transition right into, as we begin into Elul, which is honestly one of my favorites. There's a very deep idea of... Uh, uh, the king being in the field, it comes from Hasidut, from Chabad. It's like the king being God and on Elul, right? The last month of the year, right before Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. It's not like God isn't always there, but it's like in this time of the year, he's there a little bit. Like what the, month is, what month does this follow? Like when is this this year? Can you tell me? The, Elul is coming up as of this recording next week or a week and a half. Um, yeah, it's, it's like Av, it goes Av, Elul, Tishrei, Tishrei being... The first month of the year where we hit Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot, and Simchat Torah, when you said it, um, it's honestly one of my favorite times of the year. Yom Kippur is my favorite holiday, and right, going right into Sukkot, like that that connection of the of the two. Right when you finish Yom Kippur, you break your fast, and the first thing you're supposed to do is go build your sukkah, like wow. and the sukkah being yeah. literally a physical embrace. It's one of the few mitzvot I think, other than tefillin, that you actually surround yourself with. Oh, I think you just reminded me that I'm going to be in the Chagim. I'm going to be in Ecuador and I'm supposed to do like um, something to represent like the country I'm coming from. And I think I, I'm going to check mm. what holiday, like I'm going to do one of, one of the holidays. When do you go to Ecuador? I go to Ecuador on September 18th until September 30th. And then how long are you in India? For a month at least. If you need India tips, let me know. We can talk off record, but 
I'm, I'm going for a specific course. So I'm not really, I'm not really free oh. to do whatever I want, but wait, Oh, I'm going to be there on Rosh Hashanah. Like I should do something for Rosh Hashanah. Okay. Oh my God. Where does, pardon my ignorance, Tibet Pardoned. borders China and not India? Tibet actually doesn't exist. <laughs> okay. But According to the Chinese. <laughs> According yeah. to the Chinese, I'm just joking. It's, right. uh, yeah, it's right, a week. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's I was a amazing. Regiment. I saw that. Oh God, we're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna get a phone call from like <laughs> the Chinese operatives listening to the pod. Um, no, so it's it's a region north of India, south of China. And that's where the Dalai Lama lives. Hashtag knowledge. Uh, yeah, I think no, he's in exile. I don't think he's there. I think if he was there, he would be in jail. Where is he now? I don't know. Wherever, he's somewhere wherever. in India because my oh, friends are wherever, wherever, wherever are you Tupac. seeing him. Ever two I don't know, Michael. maybe. So that's okay. the thing. I'm going for this course from other <laughs> I'm going for a, a month to this to this ashram. I'm gonna be doing like 11 hours of meditation a day, uh, studying Whoa. like the history of like oh, it's gonna be sick. yoga philosophy and meditation and whatever. And uh, I'll be 300 hours of meditating in 28 days. Okay, can we? I, not to wait. I, I'm gonna unpack this for a minute. Yeah. Here. How often? Okay, two questions. One, what's the longest stretch of meditation you've done continuously? Thirty minutes. Oh, okay, but you do that every day. No. Oh, okay. No. And I think part of it is because, first of all, I enjoy it and I love it, and it's become something that I'm deeply connected to when I do it. I, I actually have learned that I love to lead meditations. I'm really good at that because, again, it's about how good you are at being a vessel. So. It, at Selena here, I do five guided meditations a week for the for the guests, and it's taught me the deep, deep, deep art of surrender. You cannot plan a meditation. You cannot like decide what you're going to intellectualize it. It has to be fully opening yourself as a vessel and just speaking wisdom. It feels like being possessed a little bit, honestly. Like I'm not not to sound too woo woo, but it's like fully just like surrendering to God and letting letting God use you as a vessel for the people who are sharing the space with you. Um, that I've enjoyed very much. I think here we've done longer than 30 minutes, maybe a little bit longer. But yeah, I have I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. I'm scared as hell. Is there any mental preparation for that? Are you just gonna jump in like you jump in? I'm just, life? you know, I told myself if I could do the army. I could do this, you know, it's two years of the army. Like when I went to the army, I didn't know what the F I was getting myself into. I came from LA, spoiled little LA girl, <laughs> straight to Tahal. And I just tell myself, you know, it's one of those experiences, you know, you're going in one person, you're leaving a completely different person, but I trust myself. And I know that there's a reason I'm going, there's a reason I'm called to go. And I'm just gonna, even if it's insanely hard, that's not a bad thing. So I'm fine with that. Thank, I'm, thank I'm ready for that. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm glad to have served. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's um, it's a whole journey, but just it's funny amazing. saying it's so funny talking about the army somewhere where I feel safe, where it's something that's like a positive thing. You know, like I say it here because like I've I've decided, I've made a conscious decision that I'm not gonna ever hide that I'm from Israel and hide that I did the army, even if it puts me at risk. Uh, I'm I'm happy and I'm proud of it. And if that means that someone's gonna beat my ass, then beat my ass. Like that's okay. Like I at first was Krav like, Maga? no, I didn't. I didn't no. learn Kavaga. But if you give me a gun, I'm kidding. We'll cut this, we'll this from the episode. <laughs> but no, but it, no, but it is crazy because it's like I came here and I was like, don't say you're from Israel. Don't say you're from the army. And then I was like, you know what? Jews have gone through way too much for you to hide that. And you know, like I'm not gonna be ashamed of that. 
Fuck if off. that means I'm gonna get my ass beat, then let's go. Like I will. Like <laughs> I'm willing to. It's a cause I'm willing to die for, honestly. So fuck it. Like, but yeah. So it's fun to say that I was talk about the army with people who I know I don't want to. What was your tough? Key, what was your what was your um, role in the army? If I may ask. Yeah, sure. I was a infantry instructor. I came to Israel not knowing how to even write my name in Hebrew and fought for this job, even though I I literally lied to the system to get this job. And they looked at me the first day and said, "You're not going to pass this course." Like. You need to study so much in Hebrew. And I said, I'm going to do this job. So I ended up um, not only completing the course, I was actually a sergeant of the unit I was in with my with my friends. I was promoted to guide my, my partners, my fellow soldiers. And I shot machine guns and trained soldiers, like 40 soldiers a week on how to shoot automated machine guns in the army and served also in Operation Protective Edge on the border of Gaza, preparing reserves to go into Gaza very meaningful service really really incredible two years of my life that i would never apologize for or do you keep in touch with the people in your unit of course that's family it's like it doesn't even matter if you're not in touch it's family it's like you see someone from the army it's like you know you ate shit with that person you slept with that person you showered with that person like you slept on the floor in the desert with that person like they're your family but definitely some of my closest friends today are girls i met in the army absolutely love it yeah. how wow. far away do you live from vienna um like three four hours i think oh, okay. i'm so an hour you're... away from salzburg got it that's the closest city to in me. terms of nice how far are you from the dolomites do you know you know, know it's uh it's, it's i don't know how far you are from italy but it's like it's a mountain range in italy that's oh yeah so i think to i'm be, close like... to that because there's a lot of like italians here and and supposedly i'm yeah. close to that <laughs> i'm really bad at the geography guys <laughs> it's okay where you're talking to Isaac, are you you're a bit of a geography nerd like me, yeah? Look like I'm more of a geography nerd than I actually am. I think I am by the things I do and the things I say, but um, no, I, no, I can get by. Um, yeah, no, I'm obsessed with maps. Like, no, I'm really kid, bad at it, and I'm really jealous of you. Yeah, my sister's always like, why don't you, like, whenever, like, I obsess about, like, something in a map, like, I would literally read, like, the atlas. She'd be like, why don't you become a geography professor? I'm like, I don't want to become a geography professor. I just <laughs> love geography. No, this is so <laughs> funny because, like, I decorated my apartment nice and everyone's like, you should be an interior designer. I'm like, no, I just <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah, to yeah. decorate like, my apartment. Yeah, you like, just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, why you does like that this mean? thing. You should do this thing all the time. Yeah, like, that should be your job. And it's like, no, it shouldn't. I, guess my I, sister, just... I love her and it's coming from a good place, but. I love your sister too. So now that yeah. I know her, as well By the way, like, i, I think we that. found out that you guys have the same hebrew birthday i don't know if oh my she... gosh yeah i love that for us you asked me to check right after you asked me to check and, then and like, it was yeah. the same <laughs> yeah and it's you're july 22nd right gregorian yeah. she's august 14th so it's literally one of those years where like it was just like a full month removed oh sick or that almost. is so funny yeah i love that for us um so we're wrapping up, but we have a couple of questions here. Um, I want you to I want you to plug the podcast. Um, it which podcast? is something that your which podcast your podcast. Oh, okay, what do you mean plug it up? No, plug it, plug oh. it. Like, oh, okay. let's, talk, let's talk about it a oh, little bit. Plug the podcast. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sorry, I'm like not that cool like I am, but like I forgot I forgot how to talk in like you know like cool yeah. cool English. Right. That wasn't even written here. I just I'm said like that. plug one in. Like we're talking about like. Well, I don't. You have some way of connecting something from <laughs> inputs. Yeah, I, was like, I was like, wait, yeah. is there some feature I'm not aware of? Like, let's go. Yeah, let's, <laughs> okay, Aubrey, let's talk about the podcast. 
uh, Life by Taylor podcast. I, I remember having a call with you, like where, when you were thinking about doing it and you were like, I told you about Anchor. I don't know who else maybe you consulted, but Only I see else. myself as a little bit of like a Obi-Wan Kenobi there to you being For the sure. one. I hope, no, don't become Anakin. Uh, we'll pick another <laughs> Jedi. Uh, but like, I'm, I'm happy that I like, I, I, at least I laid the seed. So how, how has it been ever since you restarted it? Because obviously you took a little bit of a break and then you brought it back and it's been incredibly successful. Yeah. Wow. So I started it after we spoke and it was like video and audio. And then I was just going through a lot and I was like, okay, this is not the time. I'm happy. I started this. I had, I'm happy. I know how to do this. I'm happy. I know how to upload it. I'm happy. I know how to edit it, which is why you should just start things when you want to, and also not be attached to if it fails or if it doesn't do well, like that doesn't mean it's dead for life. Like that means maybe it's not good. It's not right for now. Right. Right person, wrong time. So whatever. Anyways, the podcast, it was nice to learn the process, but I wasn't ready for it. And then I was in LA and I was like, yo, I really miss having the podcast. I really want to relaunch the podcast. And something I realized is that people are always asking me how I read so much and how to get this book and that book. And I'm like, you guys aren't actually going to read all these books. So let's be real. And I um, decided to launch the podcast as first, the format was to just read from different spiritual books every day and break them down and kind of put them into slang and like, good, you know, the way we speak. And that was successful, but now it's also open to just like freestyle solo episodes. And I, and I started with daily podcasts and that's where it picked up. And now I'm doing like two episodes a week because it's harder from here, but yeah, the, the numbers are insane. I mean, I did, I didn't even know what a successful podcast looks like, but in like two months I have 40,000 listens or now 45,000 listens, uh, which is beyond like, yeah. So like my average episode listen. It's like yeah. 700 listens. Why haven't we come on yet? Oh, I know you don't really have guests, but still. I don't have guests at all. <laughs> that's why that's why that's why it blew up. <laughs> yeah, I think it's easy. No, I actually think the opposite is true. I think when you have guests and you leverage their communities, their networks, it's easier to grow. So it's right, actually right, right. harder to grow as solo. Uh, which is Nahon. which is you're right. Yeah. Um, that's what we did. We went from we went from duo to guests. Yeah. Um, but we now we had duo to trio. Yeah. So I was like Googling, like, what's a lot of podcast listens? And like, when I read the stats, I was like, whoa, like, this is doing great. <laughs> like, go me. Yeah. So it's, it's really fun. But it's also been successful, not in terms of the metrics. For me, it's it feels like the most comfortable and natural pot platform for me to express myself in the most authentic way. So I think that's the success, honestly. What podcast do you listen to in your daily life for inspiration? The people you listen to, you trust? Who are those? My go-to is obviously Oprah Super Soul podcast because I feel like she's actually one of the most talented interviewers of all time. But not only that, once she took a spiritual path, every guest that she brings on, no matter what field they come from, no matter what they've done in their worldly lives, she's good at asking questions about the soul and their spiritual self, which is always so, so insightful when you get this person who you idolize as a basketball player or Tom Brady or whoever is there. She's not talking to them about the, the football. She's talking to them about the soul, about what fulfills him, about what brings him deep fulfillment in his life and that to me there's so much to learn from that and that's yeah. my go-to uh and i would say the second one that i've been listening to recently is i think it's called the here and now podcast where it's basically uh repurposed lectures by ram das who was a jew his former name is uh, richard halpert he was a harvard 
professor and doctor at Harvard and decided to go down a spiritual path in India and has now become one of the biggest spiritual teachers in the world, but he passed away, I think around like seven years ago. So his life path is very relatable is to me. An OJM, if I've ever seen one. Yeah. He Sorry. is he is old, old Jewish man. Old Jewish man. Yeah. And he, Was. you know, his story is so relatable because his dad pressured him to be a doctor and he went to Harvard and he went down that path of like the classic Jewish upbringing. But the beauty of it is actually recently I've been listening to these lectures of his and he references things like the Shema. He references things like oh. Yom Kippur, like he has a lot of knowledge awesome. on Judaism and he like kind of bridges my two worlds together. So I really find a lot of inspiration from him. So yeah, he's my, he's my go-to guru. At the so moment. it's basically a podcast that repurposes the things that he said, that he said. Yeah. He did a lot of public speaking events and lectures all over America when he was younger, when he came back from India and left Harvard, he was, he was actually fired from Harvard because he was doing research on LSD and psilocybin. Yeah. Yeah, so he's a he's a really big G, and most people don't know he was Jewish. So now you know. Boss, he's a big calendar. boss. He's my guy. Oh, Ramadas. He's. I really just last thing. It's amazing how you can have a connection with a soul, even though they're not physically in the world. Like I really, oh, really feel dude, his yeah. guidance. I feel his his support. I swear to God, this sounds insane. He he he's pushing me to go to India. I know I sound crazy, but like just learning from him, reading from him, listening to him, I feel his presence in my life. And it's been such an inspiration, um, you know, because sometimes I question as a Jewish person going down the path of learning from Indian culture and like all these other alternative paths. And he's really made me like he's bridged the gap for me in many ways. So just just thought I could share that with people. I love it. It's completely understandable. I have a relationship yeah. with my grandfather who I only knew for three years. Right. So, I get that. That makes, that makes no sense. Right. In the normal sense. <laughs> it makes, it makes a lot of sense. It makes, <laughs> it makes all the sense, but none at the same time. Right. Um, yeah. So, so what's yeah. next for Taylor Amrani and at last by Taylor. Okay. So we're taking a break from the business at the moment. No, no clients. No, no. I'm in research and development stage right now. And I am going to coincident just spontaneously got invited to this trip to Ecuador for two weeks. So I'm going to Ecuador with people from all over the world to, to represent Israel. And I'm excited for that because they wanted people from all over and I'm the Israeli representative. So yeah. just know that I will be representing us proud and doing a Shabbat dinner with everyone, teaching them about Shabbat at, in Ecuador. And then going to India for a month to study and learn. And we'll see, you know, I, you know, Steve Jobs said, your headlights can only see so far, you know, you can't, you can't see that far into the future. So I'm here now and loving life and feel so aligned with my purpose and want to help more people feel this way because it's really, it's the gift. Uh, it's a gift to live, the, live this life. I feel very blessed to have this wisdom. And I just want you to know that it's all faith. It's really about faith. That's the key to, key to everything. And I will write a book about this one day, how to cultivate faith from like a practical place because people always ask how to have faith in life. That's going to be one of the books I write for sure. So that's the only thing I know for sure about the future. Other than that, yeah. God's plan, you know, let him take me wherever I'm meant to go. I think you just answered the question that we were going to ask again. Okay. Um, uh, if you that's had a billboard, if you had a billboard and billions of people would see, what would you put on it? Have faith. <laughs> believe. <laughs> just believe. No, I'm kidding. I think I would write. Um, yeah, I think I would write something along the lines of just like surrender. Like, I would think I'd write surrender. I think people are blocking 
God from doing his thing. You know, I really feel like a tree doesn't have to work hard to grow leaves. Like it just does. And like, if you get out of the way, like you can experience the same abundance and the same flow with, with God in life. So Amen. get out of the way, surrender, flow. You're on Spotify, right? I am on Spotify. Okay. I'm going to send you a song by Monticello called Surrender. Let's go. <laughs> uh, it's a good one. Okay. I trust you. Double, double, uh, double plug for <laughs> he's a dream guest i gotta figure out a way to get him on we gotta well, figure out him on. first uh, believe first believe that he will yeah no, what's happening just, him and mari stoudemire are basically already on please just ask yourself how easy is it for god to bring them onto your podcast like it's so easy for him it's literally like a little nothing it's like just like this yeah. how That's easy great. like god god knows everyone he knows amari Stoudemire. he knows they're his best friends like yeah. obviously he can bring you guys wow. together God just met Amari Stoudemire for real. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, conversion process. That guy's a tzaddik. There you um, go. So, I mean, that's it. And do you have any questions for us? Or I mean, I just uh, would love to bless you guys and just wish you guys well and just tell you guys that it's super inspiring to see you guys continuing doing this like two years later from when you guys started this. And Mayor, obviously, I, I have like such a personal connection to you as one of my first clients ever. And I do want to thank you for inspiring me and helping me with the podcast. I think your guys' podcast inspired me to start my own. So I think Ooh. when people are doing things from the right place, it's contagious. Uh -huh. So keep spreading that light and keep uh, representing us in such a proud, proud way. I think it's amazing. You make me oh so God. proud to be Jewish. Every time I see your content, I'm like, uh, there we go. I feel like this is, this is, this is what like a parent or like a rabbi must feel like when they hear, I'm Shepanachas. I'm Shepanachas. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> You deserve Need a it. Yiddish word to explain your feelings in Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful mm. guys. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I do want yeah. to take a safe travels to South sure. America and Asia. Thanks. Like God, God, I'm scared as hell, but I just trust God that He's protecting me. I just imagine like a hand over me, just like guiding me. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Two Tall Jews Show. We can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. You can also find us on Instagram at Two Tall Jews Show and Twitter at Two Tall Jews. And you can also find our umbrella page, Jewish Original Media on Instagram, and the very famous On This Day in Jewish History on Instagram as well, and on Twitter as at Daily Jewish. You can find a link to support us on any of our link trees on Instagram or Twitter or even YouTube. Any and all donations are appreciated and will help in development of all of our content, all of our projects. So thank you for that. See you next week.